Hey, K9360, this is Jill. I'm your host here. Happy anniversary month. It is our 15th year on the air. We started in September of 2007. I can't even believe it. And here we are, still coming to you with, I hope, useful insights, stories, provocative, insightful Uh, When I encounter people who listen to the program, um, the thing I hear the most often is I've never heard anyone talk about dog ownership the way you do. And oh my goodness, that's a good thing to hear because I think so much of what we hear um, about dog ownership and the right ways to do it or whatever is, can I say it this way, corporate propaganda Um, marketing messages designed to sell products and services, goods and services that are sometimes impractical and sometimes just useless. So we try to offer a different message, something other than corporate speak. Um, That's because corporate isn't paying the bills around here. So, right, it's us. We're the community. We keep the programs afloat and uh, hope you're doing your part to listen and support us in every way possible. All right. A little bit of content seemed worth sharing with you. Um, In class, frequently, I will enable or endeavor to assist someone who's frustrated uh, with getting their dog to cooperate or do what it is they're trying to get the dog to do and they will see their dog do something they thought was impossible and say, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. And I always tease them that, yes, I have a special invoice for miracles. I'll just send it along to you. <laughs> and they they laugh and I laugh. Um, Sometimes I think they are speaking in admiration if I handle an otherwise incorrigible or difficult dog and show the owners the potential that the dog has. Um, Sometimes it's an excuse. An owner will compare the way the dog works for me with the uncontrollable animal he has contended with for weeks or months. And with that simple statement, then just gives up on his own success and abdicates his responsibility for the dog's failure, right? A way with dogs, you have such a way with dogs, can be a compliment and it can be a condemnation for that dog. Um, But the one thing I tell every person who accuses me of being able to do something they can't ever imagine being able to do is that it's a fiction. What? What do you mean, right? Well, everybody knows there are some people who just seem to work naturally with animals, have sort of a gift. That ease of communication, the grace of their execution, seen in some of the best dog trainers, um, best horsemen, right? The horse whisperers and other accomplished animal people makes it seem kind of otherworldly or magic or miraculous. 
Unfortunately, some opportunists market it as such and make a tidy sum, living off their reputation as a whisperer or a communicator or whatever. But I think that having a way of communicating with animals, whether it's your dog or your horse, is a quality of our leadership. And because of that, I think it's something that a human being can actually learn. If only he or she is receptive to what that process truly is, what it really entails. It's kind of a matter of mastering a few basic principles that dogs themselves seem to be able to grasp and employ in their own interactions with each other. In other words, if you want to have a uh, way with dogs, you might do best by simply observing dogs for a while to see what there is to learn. One of the first things is to be respectful. Um, A colleague years ago told a little story about uh, being in the get acquainted room at a shelter where she was working. And she was accompanied by her own dog, Luther, and a little dog who was up for adoption named Caroline. Caroline was everybody's favorite in those days, small and round with a wistful expression and a sweetly affectionate demeanor. And no one could help but fall in love with her. But if you introduce another dog to the scene, uh, she turns into something not quite so sweet and wistful. So the story goes. My friend's personal dog, the solid strapping Luther, was a Doberman and wasn't anyone's idea of a pushover. But when Caroline raises her lip and stares a warning at him as he tries to approach her personal space, he backs down and gives her some room. In my friend's story, she says, in the past half hour, the two of them have worked out a grudging respect for each other's space and have even allowed some up-close time as they greeted a guest. If Luther had not been as deferential and respectful of Caroline's space, the two of them could not be sharing the same room quietly right now. What do we learn from this? Well, there's a famous caricature that dog trainers love to trot out when describing scary incidents with foolish people goes like this. The person rushes up to pet the strange dog and is asked by the handler from refraining to do so. The enthusiastic greeter, stranger, persists in her efforts, arms outstretched, full-on eye contact, bearing down on the dog's space while cheerfully offering the disclaimer, Oh, don't worry. I've had dogs before. Dogs just love me. This little anecdote usually ends with the trespasser being snapped at and sometimes outright bitten. The irony, of course, arises from the fact that if this person really did understand dogs, have a way with dogs, have the benefit of experience with dogs, she would never have rushed into the space of a dog she hadn't met properly in a manner that bespeaks aggression and rudeness to a normal dog of any breed, age, or size. So the first step in having that insight, having that way with dogs, if you will, is understanding that their space and the rituals surrounding it are sacred to them. 
a well-adjusted, properly trained dog should allow the friendly attention of a respectful stranger. He should not always be expected to welcome the loud, full frontal assault from a well-meaning but entirely obnoxious, self-proclaimed dog lover. Watch how dogs work out their own sharing issues amongst themselves to learn about respect, deference, and the trust that follows from a proper, thoughtful introduction. Another thing we can learn from watching the dogs is how to be quiet. I know. Be quiet. Anyone who's taken a private lesson with me has watched me start their dog with an exercise called the foundation. The foundation makes use of a 15-foot long line, a training collar, and a completely silent handler. Owners who complain that their dog doesn't listen are stunned when three minutes into the exercise, their dog is happily trotting alongside me on a totally slack 15-foot line, following my every move with complete rapt attention. The fact that I haven't spoken a single word to the dog is the reason they say, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. But that is perfect proof that this mysterious, miraculous process is quite learnable. Unbelievable as it may seem, everyone is capable of keeping their mouth shut when dealing with their dog. For folks who have been conditioned to treat dogs as if they are human children rather than the beautifully natural creatures they are meant to be, blah, 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 doesn't work with either species. Unlike the child who even at a very early age is sophisticated enough to pick up the nuances of uh, communication or conversation with a parent, the dog lives by his senses first and his comprehension second. And in fact, if we don't build a bridge between the two, we will always have a dog who doesn't listen because we're looking at a dog who has never been taught how to hear us. One of the most important lessons I've learned after more than a quarter of a century working with dogs is that the less you say, the more they listen. The corollary to that is that the less you stare at them, the more they watch you. Show your dog what you want by leading him confidently as if you were a trusted pack leader rather than nagging, begging, as if you were a wishy-washy human mother. Or as I like to joke, that mom in Target who's always one aisle away from us. You know who she is. Joshy, 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 Joshy. We talked about this in the car, right? Don't be Joshy's mother. What else can we learn from watching dogs about how to make miracles happen? Be aware of your body. Be aware of what your body is saying. Be aware of your body language, right? If I'm teaching a class, like a canine good, good citizen class, and we're teaching the sit-stay exercise, I will often warn a handler, need to go over and remind your dog what they're doing, he's about to break position. If the handler reminds her dog with a well-timed good sit, she may notice nothing beyond her dog sitting up a tiny bit straighter. If she ignores me or reacts too slowly to my suggestion, she's going to see her dog either stand up or lie down as if they were on cue. How did you know that was going to happen? Is usually what follows. I could be sort of vague. I just have a sense of what dogs are going to do, but the truth is much simpler. Every dog has a vocabulary of gestures and physical positions that literally tell observers of his intentions. 
by watching for one of these tells, a handler can truly learn to predict what the dog will do next and redirect him onto a task rather than correcting him for failure after the fact. Dogs are not verbal creatures, as we have already established, yet they communicate with us and with each other very efficiently through a whole range of physical signals. Some are very overt and easy to see. Others are so subtle that it takes another dog to recognize them. There are many books on the subject of canine body language. Anyone who really wants to learn how to speak dog can get their hands on one. One of the highest compliments one dog trainer will pay to another is say, to say that his colleague can really read a dog or really has an eye for a dog. Because understanding the difference between a raised, stiffly wagging tail, which is kind of an escalation in the dog's um, arousal level, and a relaxed, slowly wagging tail, which signals friendship or recognition, to be able to divine the outcome of a staring contest or to forecast the downfall of a sit-stay command are just a few examples of reading a dog. I have to say to people in class all the time, don't let your dogs stare at each other. Trouble, 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 trouble follows from that. Learning how to use your own upright bipedal body to communicate effectively with your four-legged quadrupedal canine companion is of equal importance. When a good handler is working well with a dog, it appears as though the two of them are completely in sync, ready to win Dancing with the Stars, if you will. It doesn't take a lot of words or commands from the handler. And a complete conversation is taking place between the two of them on a physical plane. And while the dogs who share our lives originate from all over the globe, canine body language is universal. It's the body language, as is the body language of good dog trainers and good handlers. Perhaps each individual dog has their own accent or dialect, if you want, right? Those are often breed-specific kinds of things, which is why the more dogs one handles well the more one can speak with future dogs. There's something in Vicki Hearn somewhere about the trainer can initiate the conversation, but where it really begins is when the dog makes a response to the handler's initial engagement, and she's not talking about the words coming out of our mouth. Watching the delicate fluency that a well-spoken dog exhibits in dealing with his world would teach you most of what you need to know about communication with another species. Psychic abilities are not required. How did I know? How do I know when my student's dog is going to break their sit stay? Maybe the dog yawned. Maybe he scratched himself. Maybe he was panting and he stopped panting. Maybe the expression in his eyes hardened. I don't know. Maybe it's just a miracle. Right? Okay, one more thing. Two more things we can learn from watching dogs. Do I have two more? Yep, two more. I'm so happy to be here tonight. Be sincere. So glad to be in your wonderful city. I'm going to borrow another example from the brilliant Julia. 
She says, several years ago, I was at a dog event with her great Doberman, Janie. Anyone who has seen Janie in action will agree that she is a high-drive, super-sensitive Doberman who requires a strong handler with a soft touch. Janie and Julia had been strolling in a conference area looking at exhibits, and as usual, Jane was in proper heel position, walking quietly by my side. Every once in a while, I would look down at her and smile my encouragement at her good manners and her mannerly behavior. Earlier that day, she had caused a bit of a stir when a nosy border collie invaded her spot beneath my chair, and she responded with a loud and embarrassing correction to the offending dog. I was pleased to see that she had decided to follow my commands now instead of her own uh, more impulsive instincts. Julia says, we stopped for a moment outside the main seating area and Jane sat at heel as she has been trained. Another conference goer caught my eye and suggested you should praise her. Uh, No one knows how to train a trainer's dog better than another trainer. Better still if the other trainer has never, ever before laid eyes on the dog that they are now talking about. Thanks, Julia said, but I am praising her. My zealously helpful colleague belonged to a school of thought that requires a handler to constantly gush words of adoration at the dog, to reward the merest act of civil behavior with a torrent of praise that I would prefer to save for the dog the day that the dog drags me out of a burning building. True, some dogs seem to thrive on this type of overwrought attention, but more seem to be unimpressed with it once a big distraction comes along and a few of the cagier ones almost look a bit disgusted with it. What my colleague didn't understand is that my soft eye contact and my gentle smile were meaningful enough to Jane that she warmed to them and continued to be a good girl. The dogs I work with will quickly lose focus on the task at hand if for every tiny success they receive a barrage of words and celebration. Far more meaningful is a smile, a quiet, is a boy, and a fleeting pat on the head or the flank. When you deal with a dog, infuse your words with meaning and sincerity by keeping perspective on what you are trying to achieve and how hard your dog is trying to get it right. Don't devalue your positive attention by throwing amplified, fake, false, dramatic enthusiasm at your dog every time he blinks his eyes. On the other hand, if you're a more taciturn sort of person and the best praise you can squeak out is a flat, wooden, good boy, even when your dog has just had a major breakthrough, try to see things through the dog's eyes and understand how much more meaningful it would be if trusted handler smiled down and gave him a genuine hearty scratch under the chin and a few words of encouragement. I won't anthropomorphize my dogs by attributing to them such human traits as spite or jealousy, but I will stand by my belief that a dog is an honest creature who can tell when his person is truly invested in him. Okay, we got one more thing we can learn from dogs if your goal is to make a few minor miracles in your training. Be humble. Always the hardest charge for someone dealing with dogs, but a necessity for success in making those little miracles happen. The very best dog trainers in the world, the people who have had the kind of bond with their dog the rest of us just dream about, they share a common trait, 
They treat every new dog they meet as a teacher as much as a student. Pride in one's work and even a bit of arrogance are not unheard of in this profession. But that sense of superiority should be tempered by a healthy dose of humility when a leash is put in your hands. I have listened to dog owners insist they could not learn anything from me or my professional colleagues because they've had dogs their whole life. Now that their current dog is displaying unacceptable behavior that is new to them, they rest on the sparse laurels of having owned maybe four outside five dogs in the past and refuse to open their eyes to the learning experience right in front of them. Instead, their dog is turned into a shelter or given up to rescue with a laundry list of behavioral defects that would have been easily addressed if the owner had just swallowed his pride and opened his mind. Ironically, one of the most often heard disclaimers from these folks is, well, I have a way with dogs and if Bruno here won't listen to me, then that means there's something wrong with him. Ooh, okay. Um, <laughs> this, this making minor miracles, right? It, it's not easy. It takes eyes wide open. It takes a quiet way of expression. It takes strong character, self-awareness, and a controllable ego. But being able to make those minor miracles is not some magic gift conferred at birth either. If you want to be one of those people who really can make miracles happen, begin by thinking about these characteristics that we've been talking about today. I'm going to list them for you one more time. Be respectful. Be quiet. Be aware of body language. Be sincere. And be humble. And then, from there, you can just let the dogs do the rest. Right? Got it? Sure. Nothing to it. Start tomorrow. Start your diet today. Or however we do that, right? I'll start tomorrow with whatever. All right, you guys. We have reached, just about reached the end of our time together on this little Wednesday. And we are into our 15th year making miracles on KZUM. Although I think there are some pretty amazing programmers, pretty amazing staff, interns who make miracles on and in and around this community radio station every single day. And because of their work, they make magic and miraculous things happen in the community all for our mutual benefit. It's an extraordinary opportunity um, and experience to be part of this in even just a small way. And your part, I think, is even bigger. Um, listeners are the heart of everything and nothing happens in media 
without eyeballs and ears and enthusiasm and support and encouragement. And there's lots of ways for us to show each other just how much of that we are capable of, willing to do with joy and appreciation, right? Um, If I go too far down this little path, I might get a little teary-eyed and I'm not I'm not joking about that. Um, it's a really heartfelt uh, thing to be able to come in, participate, be part of this, um, and know that you are out there. Out there, but also in here. Um, when I started the program way back in the early days, KZUM Studios were still at the top of the terminal building downtown. And I was on the air 7.30 to 8 a.m., I think. And for a big chunk of the year, that meant looking out a window into the darkness, right? Looking out facing north, I guess, and looking at the uh, skyline Maybe there were a few twinkling lights, but when you sat down, you couldn't see the lights. You could just see a big black sky, right? Big dark sky. And learning how to feel the presence of listeners when it initially seemed like I was just talking into a void, right? There was nobody there, uh, nobody listening, It took a little while to start to understand just how many people there really were, just how many listeners there really are, and to be able to bring a sense of the presence of those listeners and their own devotion to KZUM, to bring it with me into the studio and speak and share content or interviews or whatever we're doing here on K9360 to be able to share it with you as though you were sitting here with me because it feels like you are and that's an amazing feeling and um, I thought that was worth sharing as well so all right now I really am done. It's time for me to slide out of this chair. The celebration is up. Hang around. Keep letting us know how much you love us. And uh, we'll keep doing the same right back at you. You've been listening to K9360 on KZUM and KZUM HD. Have a great week. See you soon.